Today we are in part three of our series called Judge Not. We started two weeks ago taking Jesus' teaching, Judge Not, taught his followers uh, not to be judgmental, uh, to stop looking at the speck in somebody else's eye and start looking at the log or the plank that is in your eye, to not be arrogant, to not be proud, to not think that you have all the right answers and all the right opinions and that you're the one who's doing everything right and living properly and it's everybody else that is the problem. And instead being a little bit more humble, a lot more humble and introspective and first taking a look at your own life and your own heart and where you're at and uh, just, just humbly doing that introspection to make sure that you're allowing God to change you and transform you and that you can walk alongside uh, of him. And then last week, we took it a little bit further and we went to a passage of scripture where Jesus taught about uh, the religious leaders who become hypocrites. And we talked about what it looks like to become a hypocrite. A lot of that is where we put so many burdens on other people, so many expectations. We throw all of our opinions about what their life should look like and who they should be and what they should do upon them. But we don't help them do that. We don't give them grace. We don't give them mercy. We just give them rules and expectations and sometimes condemnation and judgment. And so we're coming here to part three, but I really want to encourage you that if you haven't, if you're not up to date, if you haven't watched or listened to those messages, that before you really wrestle with what we're talking about today, you go back, you watch those, you listen to those online through our website, podcast, whatever, and uh, just really wrestle and allow God to work on you where maybe it's necessary as we all do that process, hopefully, before you get to today. And that's really, really important important. But let's say you've done that. Let's say you've been tracking along. Let's say the last week, couple of weeks have been very introspective for you and God is showing you all sorts of things and he's, he's softening your hearts and you say, I don't want to be a judgmental person. I don't want to be judging people. I don't want to be arrogant. I don't want to be a religious hypocrite. Certainly, and you're walking through life and you're trying to do all of those things and then certain aspects of life come into focus where they make it really difficult. Like, for example, You're just trying to be a good, kind, loving person, but there are people who start taking advantage of you, taking advantage of your kindness. People who see that as you're not trying to judge them, they'll they'll actually do things that um, you go, oh, I'm not comfortable with this, or or, oh, you're kind of overstepping into my world now, and and am I just supposed to sort of throw my hands up and say, well, I can't, I just have to do whatever people ask of me, or I can't push back if there's boundaries that are being crossed, or or things that I don't think maybe are right. Am I just supposed to just say, well, I can't judge, judge not, so I won't say anything. What happens when you find yourself in conflict with other people? So now you're, you're in some kind of debate or maybe even a, a fight. Maybe something has happened and uh, there's something in between you and maybe there's real issues. Are you just supposed to say, well, judge not. I can't say anything. I can't weigh in. I can't share my opinion. I don't want to be judgmental. I don't want to be condemning. And so maybe I'll just say nothing. What happens if somebody engages in behavior that's harmful, harmful to themselves, harmful to you, harmful to people that you love? And you sit there and you see this behavior and you go, on the one hand, I think that's not a good thing. That's wrong. They shouldn't be doing that. On the other hand, I'm trying to not be a judgmental person. So am I just supposed to throw my hands up and say, well, live and let live. That's how it's supposed to happen. There's nothing I can do. I'm supposed to judge not. Does the command that Jesus gave us of not judging others lead us to be passive people, this passive life that says, and I can't weigh in on anybody else, anything else. I can't, I can't make a judgment call on what anything is happening. I just got to sit back and kind of let people do whatever they're going to do, not be able to say something when I feel like something's wrong. And then you kind of maybe go, well, shouldn't I be able to? And when do I speak up? And when do I not speak up? And when do I do something about this? And when do I kind of live and let live? How do we deal with all those tensions? And that is what I want to talk about tonight. It leads uh, this morning, uh, leads us to the question that I think we all need to ask, which is how do we make good judgments without being judgmental? 
So how do we still say we need to be wise? We need to actually make good judgments. We have to make good decisions about what we're supposed to do in the world and even in what other people are doing. And we need to be able to decide, are certain things healthy or not? Is this, is this right? Is this wrong? How do we deal with that? But we don't want to just go back to being judgmental, which is why the first two weeks are important. We hopefully we get into that introspective uh, place because I think if we jump too far to this question, it's too easy to you know, skew on the one side and to say, I just, I know everything and I have the opinions and that's how I'm going to make those decisions just out of what I want or what I think is right. We need to go back and go through the process that Jesus taught us about of introspection and humility and really grounding ourselves. But what happens if we're really trying to do that and, and hopefully we're getting in a more and more healthy place as we go and we still ask, but how do I make good judgments without going backwards and being judgmental? So Matthew chapter 7, um, this is where actually we started reading where Jesus taught us to judge not. And he taught us uh, to not just look at the speck in somebody else's eye, but to look at the plank in our own eye to go through that whole, whole deal. And then as soon as he does that and he teaches people what it looks like to not be judgmental, he makes this kind of almost cryptic or weird statement just right after it. So we're just following now what Jesus had taught after he taught his followers, people who were listening in not to be judgmental. And actually, we're, this is towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, so this big chunk of teaching uh, that Jesus was sharing with everyone. And he's actually going to be moving towards closing the whole thing, that whole sermon. And he's bringing us back through all of his ethical teaching and all the stuff that he's asking people to do. And now it's kind of like, if we bring it all together, how do we do that? How do we, how do we make sure that we're trying to live this out? And sometimes people go through this and say, there's these weird things that don't seem connected. A few verses, they come right after each other, but it seems like he's jumping all around. I actually don't think he is. I think he's trying to now conclude in a way that helps us to live out all the things that he's taught us, including judge not. So here's the verse in Matthew chapter 7 verse 6. He says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So kind of a strange verse, kind of a weird thing. You might read it and go, I don't even know what that means. So let me stop and try to explain because I have a dog. So I have some insights into this. Our dog is a golden retriever. He's big. He is a big dog. He is turning eight years old this month, actually. His name is Doug. And uh, Doug, Doug, I think dogs with people names are funny. So that's why we named him Doug. Okay, so we got Dougie. And when Dougie was a puppy, we thought, okay, we got this. He was so energetic. Like he would literally in our house, he would run laps for hours if we let him. I would take him to the park to go play fetch and I would throw the ball as far as I could. He would bring it back for as long as I could until my arm hurt so bad, just trying to tire him out so that when he came home, he wouldn't just run laps around our house. He was just very energetic. He was out of the whole litter of pups. He was kind of the crazy one. We didn't know that when we got him, but then we brought him home and that's just the way it is. So early on, we thought we, it would be wise for us to get some training sessions. There's a few things, just the basics, nothing crazy, but we want to make sure that he can follow basic commands, tell him to sit, and he sits, tell him to stay, and he stays, tell him to come, and he'll come, how to walk on a leash, and he's not pulling way out. And so we did all these things, and Dougie did pretty good with the training. He was pretty responsive, it worked pretty well, but there was a couple of things we could not train out of him. One of those things was, Dougie will eat absolutely anything that he can reach. He loves people food. He probably got a taste early and just was like, I will go for it. So if you leave anything, so let's say you're having a snack and you leave it on the coffee table and then you go to talk to someone and look this way, bam, Dougie's right there. It's gone quickly. 
And you can see how this would become a problem. Once or twice, it's kind of annoying. Um, but then as it goes, sometimes it's like, you know, you got the last cookie and you put it there and he eats it. And it's like, oh, last cookie is gone. And it gets worse with kids. Kids was way worse. Because it's one thing for me to be like, oh, that was my snack. That was whatever. And he ate it. But if you get the last cookie and it's your kid's cookie, now it's tears. And Doug, he ate my cookie and there's nothing left. It's a... One time, went to Costco. We, we go to Costco sometimes, we buy meat, and then we cut it up and we freeze it for, you know, it lasts you a whole bunch of time. So I had bought this big filet of salmon, like one of these big suckers, like a $40 piece of meat. And I'm in the kitchen on the counter, and I, I was going to cut it all up into portions and then, you know, wrap some of it and freeze a bunch of it so that we'd have salmon for a bunch of meals in the future. And uh, I know this about my dog, and I'm sitting there, and I'm ready to go, and all of a sudden, somebody, something, I forget what, distracts me, and I go, I've got to walk down. And so I take a couple of steps out of the kitchen and down the hall, and bam, I knew it. Dougie was in there. And I turn, and I look. I've never seen anything like this. Dougie's big dog, so at this point, he can get his front paws up on the counter. Nothing on, this, on the counter is safe anymore. I look over, and it's like he's up there, and in one gulp, it's like, boom. And he eats the entire thing. The entire thing. And then he looks over at me and he winks. <laughs> Got you, buddy. So. There came a point where I sat down the family, because this is, by the way, the last time this happened where Dougie got something, I kid you not, this morning, he ate one of my kids' breakfast. This morning. This is still going on. But a while back, I sat down with the family, because this is happening, and people are crying, and snacks are being eaten, and whole pizzas are gone, and $40 pieces of salmon are getting eaten. So at one point, I sit the family down, and I say, listen, I know this is not good. We've tried everything with this dog. We, we went to the trainer, oh, it didn't work. Can you try another method? Can you do something else? Try this, try this. Nothing works. So at one point, I just said, listen, family, if you leave something where Dougie can get it, he's going to get it. That's on you. That's on us now. Why? Is he doing the right thing? No. I wish Dougie would not do that. But he's going to. And so if you leave your food somewhere where he can get it, he's going to get it, and that part is your fault. You need to make sure that you don't leave food out or Dougie is going to get it. That's on us. He's a dog. We're people. We've got to be a little bit smarter. That's what Jesus is teaching here. Don't give dogs what is holy. And don't throw your pearls before pigs. What is he saying? You need to learn to be discerning. I just taught you, judge not. I didn't teach you not to be discerning. Now, in Jesus' day, dogs were not pets. Dogs were wild. Dogs were dangerous. Dogs were also often oppositional. Same with pigs. Don't think of like a nice little pig. They, you know, some people, now they have pigs as pets. Oh, nice, cute little pig. No, wild boars like that were known to come into the town, come into the city. They would trample over kids to get what they wanted. This is Jesus saying, hey, listen, as you try and live out the kingdom, as you try and be who God has called you to be, try to be a kind and loving and good person, trying not to judge people, you also need to realize that out there, there's going to be opposition and there's going to be danger. 
And so you wouldn't take something that's holy, something that's part of your, you know, something that's holy means it belongs to God, it's for God. You wouldn't take something that you go, this is holy and wonderful and good, and you wouldn't give it to a dog. That, that dog makes no sense. You wouldn't take pearls that's so valuable, that, that really, you know, this is something that, of great worth, and you wouldn't go, oh, here comes a pig, and throw the, the pig's not going to understand that. So Jesus is saying, listen, as you live this out, as you try and live out the kingdom of God and the will of God in the world and in the life, you also need to realize that, that when it comes to people now, so now we're not talking about dogs and pigs, but when it comes to people, you're also going to get opposition. You're also going to have times where, where things are coming at you that are dangerous. And so you need to be able to make wise decisions, wise judgments. You still have to be someone who can discern what's going on. What do you do when there's opposition? What do you do uh, when, when you say, I'm going to say something, but maybe there's, no one else is going to put any value on that. Nobody's going to listen to you. Nobody wants your opinion. What do you do in those different situations? You need to be discerning. So again, you might be thinking, hey, I just want to be a good person. I just want to mind my own business, trying not to be judgmental, but then you find yourself in conflict. You find yourself in the comment sections on the internet of just about anything. And you go, what's the wise thing to do here? What's the wise thing to say? When do I say something? When do I not say something? When do I, when, when do I insert myself into a situation? When do I not? And that's what I want to ta- talk about today. Because in order to make good judgments without being judgmental, I believe we need to grow in wisdom. So many of us would love to live by laws because laws are more black and white. Here's a bunch of rules. Here's what you're supposed to do. If you're doing them, you're doing well. If you're not doing them, you're not doing well. It's easy to see when someone's not living by the right rules or the right laws. We want to live by in that black and white area. That's really natural, and that's the first step for a lot of us. It's actually really important to learn as you're a kid and an adolescent. You have to learn right and wrong and black and white and when you do things and don't do things, except that most of us know that the longer you live, you end up in situations that are way messier than that where there's not always a law or a rule, where things are complicated, where, where emotions are involved and the situations aren't super clear and, and you're dealing with people and, and emotions and all the things that go into it. And it's not just so easy as saying there's a rule or a law for that. Actually, if you read big chunks of the New Testament letters, and Paul talks about this in places like Galatians all, all the time, and he talks about, you want to live by the law. Well, you know what the law does really well for us? It points out that none of us are all that good. It points us out that we've all fallen short of the laws, that none of us can live that way. And you can see how if you're living by law, and that's the primary lens that you kind of observe the world and other people through, you can see how easy it would be to be condemning. Because of course, we could go to just about anybody and point out the ways that they fall short, the way that they, they don't live up, the way that they've messed up. We've all got those areas. So the law helps us really to point out that none of us are all that good at following the law. Jesus is not just saying you should follow the law. He's saying we need to go further than that. Not stop short of that, not stop short of, hey, what are the rules? But actually to go beyond and to say when life gets messy and hard and difficult, what is it that's going to keep us on track? And that's what wisdom is. That's what it means to live uh, wisely and discerning. It actually helps us uh, to love, to be loving people through wisdom, not through law. Law doesn't lead to love. So wisdom, what does that mean? Wisdom is the practical application of knowledge, or some people would say it's skillful living. It's not just knowing information, but knowing how to live it out well, how to apply what we know in complex situations, difficult situations, when people are fighting, when people are struggling, when there's a lot of things out there. How do I take what I know? How do I take my relationship uh, with God? How do I follow Jesus into the really difficult stuff? Because we want to make sure that we can make wise decisions, 
wise judgments without being judgmental, to navigate the complexities of life, and to act according to what is best. I will tell you that as we, what I'm going to do today, I'm going to keep going through some of the things Jesus teaches right after this, and I think they're great guidelines, and I think they're signposts that point us towards wisdom, but there is no silver bullet in wisdom. That's part of the point. There is no way to make these complicated things really, really easy and just say, oh, there's a, you know, that's law. There's a rule for that. And you follow it or you don't follow it. It's simple. We're now moving further than that and saying, how do we actually uh, love people? How do we actually weigh into the, the deeper and the messier stuff? So I can't stand up here and say, hey, there's one or two things you can do. And if you do them, now you're going to be a wise person. These are things we have to practice on an ongoing basis. They're things that are going to uh, drill down on our hearts and our motivations and who we are. Again, it's why we had to go through the first two weeks of this series. And hopefully you're still processing some of those things that Jesus taught us because it's, it's going to take more out of us than just simply coming up with a bunch of laws and rules and then enforcing them on other people. That leads to problems and struggles. So knowing that there's no silver bullet, I do think Jesus gives us in the next few uh, verses three, uh, three different signs that point us toward wisdom uh, that I'd love to look at today. And I think if we took these and devoted ourselves to them over time, it would help us to become more wise, make wise judgments without pushing us backwards into being judgmental. So verse 7 in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts good things to those who ask him. So number one, and there are three signs that point us towards wisdom. Number one, look for God-given opportunities. So Jesus starts and he says, ask, seek, and knock. Some scholars would say uh, those three things, ask, seek, and knock, uh, they're all meant to communicate the same thing. Some would say it indicates a bit of a progression. So you ask God for something. Still a bit of a distance, but God, I, I would like you to give me wisdom. I would like you to give me guidance. I would like you to provide for me in my life. And then maybe to take a step up and to say, seek. Seek and find something. Really be active in this search. Don't just be someone who asks at a distance and say, okay, now it's God. But now look around and look, where is God working in my life? What is God doing in my life? What do I think God would have for this situation? How would you ask and how would you seek? You might start in prayer. God, speak to me in this situation. God, give me what I need to respond properly in, in a, a difficult circumstance. You might go to the scriptures and, and maybe not just when you have a real big problem, but an ongoing basis and search out especially what Jesus tells us to do and how to live and looking at his example and looking at, at the, the, the ways that there's the, this outworking of a faith through Jesus and through others in the scripture and to say, I really want to seek wisdom. What would God do in this situation? What God have me do? Uh, what is the spirit doing? To look through your circumstances and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago through the prayer of examine. You might be just wanting to look through your day and reviewing your day and ask, where did God show up? Where do I think God was working? Did God speak to me through other people or through my circumstances, my schedule of the day, maybe in that, that walk that I had or the time that I had in nature? Where is it that God was speaking? But start to open your eyes and to really look for where God is working in your life and in your circumstances and in the scriptures. And then to knock. Go and knock on the door. Approach where God is. Let him know that you're there. 
knock, knock, knock. I'm here. I want the door to be opened. I love the metaphor of a door. Doors, um, so oftentimes doors are metaphoric of opportunities, aren't they? So we, we sometimes we're making a big decision in life. Maybe it's around work. I'm trying to get a job and I'm just looking for an open door. Because an open door indicates that you're welcome, that you're here, that probably there's somebody on the other end that wants to welcome you and see you and, and, and give their attention to you. And so we look for open doors. Where are the doors opening? Where is God doing something that perhaps we're being invited to follow him into, invited into his presence in a significant way? The flip side is closed doors, similar metaphor, but on the opposite side. You go to a job interview, somebody afterward, how did it go? You go, oh, I think that door's closing. I'm not getting that job. I don't want that job. That's not an opportunity I'm going through. She slammed the door in my face. She's probably not that interested in you, right? This is an opportunity not going in. Well, what if we took the position, as Jesus is teaching here, that if we would ask of God and that we would seek God and that we would knock looking for God, that he really wants to respond and to be found and to open opportunities for us. That's what Jesus is teaching. If you ask, if you seek If you knock, God wants to respond to you. Your heavenly father wants to respond to you. He wants to reveal himself to you. And he wants to open up opportunities for you. That's what he says. He goes, because which one of you, if your son, if one of your children asks you for bread, just a staple, a basic staple of food in that culture, would you give him a stone? And we go, none of us would do that. Why would we ever get, like, if our kid needs bread, we're going to give him bread. Of course we would. Or if he seeks a fish, we'd give him a serpent. Well, that would be just mean If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? If that's that's the way you would treat your children, and God is God, don't you think even more he wants to be asked and sought after? And he wants his door to be knocked on so that he can respond to you? He says, even though you were evil, and you go, whoa, touchy. And maybe Jesus is saying, hey, you guys are evil, not so good. God is the opposite of that. So maybe he's using really strong language to, to really just punctuate what he's saying. It's possible. But another way to translate that word evil, listen to this, is weighed down by hardship, work, and annoyances. Parents, now do you associate with this? Even you who are tired and overworked and underpaid, and you'd love to give your kids everything in the world, but sometimes it's just hard and you're annoyed and you say, stop bugging me. I need to have a nap. But What if God is saying, even you who get overworked and you're annoyed and you're weighed down by hardship and life is really hard, even you are still going to try and give good gifts to your children. Of course you would. Well, guess what? God's not weighed down by how much he has to do. He doesn't have too much work. He's not annoyed. He's welcoming you to come to him. So if you want to make good, wise judgments without being judgmental, why don't we start by looking for God-given opportunities to try as much as we can to tune in to what God is doing in our lives, in our world, around us, and there to partner with him, to ask him and to seek him and to knock on his door and then to believe God really wants to show up for us and respond to us. That's number one. Verse 12, Matthew chapter 7, he says, So whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So therefore, based on all this we've talked about, Jesus now, he says, for this is the law and the prophets, as in this is the summary 
of the entire Bible for Jesus and his followers. That was a shorthand way of talking about the Hebrew Bible, the law, which is the first five books of the Bible, uh, the Torah, and then the prophets, which is a way of saying kind of everything else. There was another section. They often didn't say it, but the writings. Uh, but this was a way of them saying, if you want to know how to follow the entire Bible, and this was a common question to rabbis, to teachers, how do we follow all these commandments? There's tons of them. All the law, all the stuff God told us. And Jesus is saying, this is how we sum it up. He's actually now in the Sermon on the Mount, after the Beatitudes, in Matthew chapter 5, 17. Jesus says, uh, this is the law and the prophets, the entire summary. He says, I haven't come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have come to fulfill them. And then he does all this ethical teaching through the end of chapter 5 and 6 and into 7. And now Jesus is coming back to kind of go bookends, okay, where we started in chapter 5. Now we're coming back. Here's the summary. Here's how you know you're on track. Here's without going through the minutia of every little detail and every little scenario because you can't get there. But if you want to sum it all up, Whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. So number two, look for the other perspective. This is the golden rule. What is now, so in number one, perhaps you've looked for God's perspective and God's opportunities. Number two, now we look for the other perspective. So now if somebody is, is doing something, I don't agree with what they're doing. I don't agree with their perspective. I think it's wrong. I think it's harmful. One of the ways to make sure that we can enter into that and make a good judgment, but not judgmental, is to say, well, how would I treat this person, even if they're my enemy, how would I treat them? And here's the guideline. Treat them the way that you'd want to be treated. I think perhaps uh, one of our, our big pitfalls so often is that we see things in the world that we disagree with and that we think shouldn't be happening and nobody should live like this and nobody should do this and that's an opinion that I, I don't think should be uh, taught to people, all this kind of stuff. And we try and weigh in. We try and have uh, a judgment without any relationship it's just my opinion, and then I'm going to force it. So judgment, being judgmental, does that to us. Because being judgmental is basically, and our brains love this, we want to categorize people. And we can do that easily, even without a relationship. So we can say, these people who do this, they're bad, they go over there. These people are wrong, they're over there. These people are unwise, put them over there. I'm doing pretty good. This is the thing Jesus tells us not to do, right? But it's easy for us. If I can justify, you don't say that, you don't do that, you guys have broken the laws, broken the rules, you're bad, is then to categorize them, make their categories of good people and bad people, push them out of the boundaries and make sure I'm inside the boundaries of who's included. And then we have this distance and it's easy to be judgmental. I know how they should live and what they should think and what they should do. That's judgmental. Okay, well, I can still have an opinion, but what if now I sought other people's opinion and instead of just saying, I can keep you at a distance and have an opinion about your life, what if we said, I need to find out how they want to be treated? That's how I would want to be treated. You're going to judge my life. You're going to make decisions about whether I'm doing something good. Well, I want you to come and understand me. I want you to come and love me. I want you to come and care for me. We talked a lot about this last week and how do we make sure we're not hypocrites. I want you to come into the messiness of my world and then maybe we can decide what's good and bad and right and wrong and healthy and unhealthy. So what if our second point was to look for the other perspective said, and this is super challenging, I'm not just going to judge you from a distance, but if I think that this is a situation I need to wisely step in, I need to figure out the other perspective, the other person's perspective. I need to come into their life. I need to build some kind of relationship. I need to be there for them before I can even understand their perspective and make a judgment. That is much more challenging than at a distance saying, ah, can't believe they'd do that. Well, go find out why they did that. Go find out what help they would need. Maybe show them that you actually care about them. 
You know how I would want to be treated if I was doing something uh, unhealthy, which happens once in a while? I would want someone that loves me and cares for me and isn't just a, a, a kind of rule giver and here I've got all the answers, but actually someone who said, I want to be in your life and I care about you and you're not just a project to me, you're my friend, you're my brother, you're my whatever. This one, I think, ensures that there's no loopholes, there's no game playing, there's no letting ourselves off the hook. We need to really get into somebody else's perspective, into their shoes, and go further. It will take more energy. There might be things, by the way, in this where you say, your behavior means I need to put up certain barriers. There, there's certain um, boundaries that just, that, that behavior is unhealthy and I can't let you hurt me or hurt other people. I think that that's totally fair, but I also think if we're really digging into what Jesus teaches about loving other people, loving our neighbor, loving our enemy, is to say, I may need to put up barriers, but that doesn't mean I can do nothing. I might not be able to do what you want me to do in this situation, but it doesn't mean I can't do anything loving or kind. And again, that helps us to say, instead of, oh, you're wrong, you're bad, you're doing all kinds of terrible things, I'm just going to forget you and walk away and write you off, saying, oh, what would I want? I would want someone to maybe find another way to really care for me. And I know that's challenging, it's difficult. But to take into consideration um, whether we have a relationship with someone or if we just want to have an opinion about them and tell them what to do. Uh, Verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So now there might be people coming to you saying things and it might sound and look really good and not be good. So are you supposed to say, well, I can't judge that person what they're teaching saying, no, you need to be discerning. You need to be wise. So he says, you'll recognize them by their fruits and grapes gathered from thorn bushes. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So number three, look at the fruit of your decisions. Now I say your, I realize Jesus actually taught, look at the fruits of those who are trying to lead you, the prophets or whoever, teachers, look at their fruits, and I think that is equally applicable, maybe more, that's what Jesus said. I think it goes both ways. How do we really make good judgments? We don't just look at the surface. We don't just look at uh, always what is super visible. You really want to understand where somebody's at, look at the fruit, because you can't fake fruit. There's a lot of things we can fake. We can fake being nice. We can fake being competent. We can fake um, being polite even, but you can't fake fruit. Fruit is what inevitably grows out of the deep soil of your life. If you want to make wise decisions about what someone is teaching you, don't just go to someone who who is competent or who looks a certain way. Follow the fruit. If you want to look in your own life and say, how am I doing? Don't just look at what you can portray to the world on a daily basis, what you can sort of get through and and, and smile and and make people look like you're doing well. But if you really want to look at what's healthy and what's good, look at the fruit someone's decisions of someone's life over the long haul. How do you make a good judgment? Not a snap decision, not a surface thing, but what is growing out of our lives? What is growing out of our hearts, the depths of who we are? That will inevitably show. And for us and other people, we'll be able to look and say, there is the fruit. Which means if you find that if you're really honest and you find that you're often angry, bitter, proud, that those things are likely growing out of a judgmental spirit, maybe a hypocritical spirit or an arrogant spirit. That's not meant to be rude or mean. It's just 
Fruit grows out of the soil that it's in, the seeds that are planted. So if, if we find ourselves being very religious and following all the laws, and yet we walk around and we go, and I'm mad at everybody, and I can't believe they would do this, and we've got that, that bitter and proud and angry thing, and you just realize a lot of time, I am those things, you got to stop and go, that's the fruit. So what's underneath? What's the soil? What's the seeds that are being planted? And then come back to the grace and the beauty of the good news of Jesus, the love of God that he would send his son to forgive us, to love us, to save us, to redeem us, and to help us live a better way, the way of love. Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. This is Paul now picking up on what he would have learned from Jesus. And he says, but the fruit of the Spirit... So if you're living in the spirit of God, if you're looking for God, if you're searching for him, asking for him, if you're knocking down the door, trying to experience God's spirit, and if you're trying to live out the love of God, and if you're looking at the fruit of your decisions, what should you see? The fruit of the spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And he goes on to say, against these things, There's no law. There's no, that's wrong, this is right. This is actually deeper than the law, further than the law, coming from deep within us, expressed in authenticity as we grow in the love of Jesus. And so the wisest things that we can do is to live out of the Spirit, and that's how we make wise judgments without being judgmental. Heavenly Father, Wow, we just think of the ways that there's fruit in our life that we wish wasn't there. And so today, I just want to take a moment to allow ourselves to think of those things and to confess them to you and perhaps to, um, to be put on notice that we need to confess to other people even today of some of those things. And instead, I pray that today, the good news of Jesus, that your presence is with us and available to us and that you would love us so much that you'd be willing to die for us in our place, to forgive us and to restore us. I pray that that message would be so rooted in our hearts, in our lives, it would become the seeds planted in good, receptive soil that would change our mindset, that would change our attitudes, that would transform our hearts, such that instead of anger and bitterness and judgmentalism, the fruit of your spirit would grow. And on an ongoing basis, we would see people through the way, the lens that you see them. And that more of your love would come into our lives and into the lives of others. In Jesus' name, amen. So so typically we will sing at the end of a service, but today, I'm not singing, but today, uh, and actually for the next few weeks, we're going to do church updates. And the reason why we want to do that is because we know that a lot of you are heading into the summer, and there's some ongoing, um, just important areas of the church that we've been discussing. Uh, May 24th, a few week, uh, about 10 days ago, we had an amazing time together. The tables were all through this room, and they were all full. And we had some uh, great discussions and uh, great participation that night. And so what we want to do is make sure that we're continuously updating you on some of the progress of some of those things that were, that were being talked about. So today, I get the privilege of sort of giving us a few minutes on this um, governance. Do you like that? 
we are at Westside, we have restructured uh, the framework for governance. And so why is it important to clarify this point now? Uh, quite frankly, through COVID, is that there was a lot of us that attended Westside in a pre-COVID world. And in that pre-COVID world, um, Westside became part, moved out of the Fellowship Baptist and moved into the BIC, that's the Be in Christ Church of Canada. And so new bylaws were put into effect because of that. Since COVID, um, a lot of other people have joined, and maybe that is you. And, uh, and so part of that would be is that just if you are coming to the church recently or actually into the future, these are some good clarifying uh, discussion points. So um, how do we have a discussion on this? Let's, I'll give you the top four, five, maybe six questions that were asked since our meeting. So here's the first one. It's kind of the basis for all of this kind of discussion that we had, and that is, is partnership, what we're calling Westside Partners, is partnership the same as membership? Yes and no. There's your clarifying of what's happening. Um, <clears throat> our goal is this, as ministry partners, we want, we, we want some, we want ministry partners to commit to sharing and participating in the mission of Westside Church. Our partners are instrumental in making Westside a community that functions in a healthy, as a healthy spiritual family. So what this means is, and we can go to the next questions, and that is typically speaking, membership, when people ask about membership, they ask these two questions. They say, do partners, this membership now is becoming partners, so these new partners, do they have a vote? And who makes the decisions? So this is where maybe some of your church background uh, comes to play. And so we just want to explain to you briefly what that means. So Westside Church, as I've, as I've always said, is now accountable to the Be In Christ Church of Canada, which has a more um, blended or congregational or Episcopalian um, kind of governance structure. So if you've come from a congregational model, that would be, mean members typically vote uh, on to pass major or minor decisions. That's minutes and budgets and some of those kind of things. In an Episcopalian model, the final decision actually is to the leadership of the church. And so BIC is a little bit more Episcopalian, but what really we're trying to do is blend this in that is that at Westside, the ministry leaders are the ones that have the responsibility and the authority to act on behalf of the ministry partners of the church as a whole. So that's why when we have nights like the Connect meeting, where we have an interactive time to discuss some major parts of the church, it's really, really important to hear from everybody in the church. But that doesn't mean the vote is with the people. That means that we're giving good input to the ministry leaders. So another question that came up was, do we have elders and deacons? And the answer is yes, we have both. Uh, these are the ministry leaders at Westside. Uh, the board of directors and the staff uh, fulfill the biblical qualifications of being an elder. Uh, they take on the responsibility and the, account and the accountability to oversee all aspects of the church. Team leaders and life group leaders, so a team leader would be someone that's in charge of the children's ministry or in charge of hospitality, or a team leader would be in charge of our tech area. That would be an example of a team leader. And then life group leaders, not life group hosts, but people who would lead life groups are who we would believe fulfill the qualifications of deacons. 
And so they take on the supervision, like I said, of a very specific area and role in the church. Another question came up, and this is an interesting one. Um, is someone going to monitor the list? I don't know where that question came up, but um, monitor is a little bit of a strong word, but... Our desire is to make sure that all of us as ministry partners are prayed for and cared for. So, yes, uh, we want to make sure there's an ongoing accurate list or um, uh, there's an ongoing accurate understanding of who is part of the Westside Partners. And then someone actually asked me this, uh, a version of this question today, and this is the last question for today because of time. What if we're not able to check all the boxes? And so what you will find is, I'm not going to explain it today, but there are uh, ministry partners. There's a list of uh, what I would call common expectations for partnership. And those common expectations kind of come around attendance, involvement, uh, being generous to the church, etc. And then we also have added a new online partnership course that Dave has put together. Dave and then Zach is editing that. That explains in detail who we are as Westside. And so, yes, do we want to know if you're attending the church? Check. Do we want to know if you're part of a home church? Check. Or, excuse me, home church, I say that? Life group? Check. Uh, Do we want to make sure that you're uh, part of our community and that you're um, giving to the church in whatever way, capacity? Check. Yes, yes, yes. But here's the deal. Nobody's going to monitor that list. The idea isn't so that it's just checking boxes. The idea here is that we're in partnership together so that we can fulfill having a spiritually healthy family at Westside. And so it's not about checking boxes, but it's a commitment to doing our best to working together. We're going to leave you checking the boxes up to you, whether you can do that. But we will have you sign a form of agreement that all of these things are part of what you would like to join us here at Westside. So the final question would be, and this is the key one, is like, how do we sign up? We'd like everybody that if you would love to be part, a closer part of our church family, and call yourself a partner, to go to the westsidehamilton.com backslash or slash partners to begin that process. And we know some of you have already gone to that and you haven't received anything. Part of that is because uh, the online course is still being put together, and the online course is not going to be public. It's going to be private, and those will be sent to you so that you'll be able to go through those, those and you'll be sent the proper links. And um, I believe July 1st is when we've agreed to make sure that everything will be, be released by. So this is really quick, but we recognize that there is a structure, a governance uh, framework structure change, and sometimes this throws a few people off. And if it does throw you off, please talk to Dave or myself. Actually, talk to Dave more than myself, but talk to Dave or myself or or one of the board members, because we recognize any one of these questions, it could take 10 or 15 minutes to, to discuss with you. What is our goal? Our goal is to create a healthy church family that not only is for us, but it's for all of the people who haven't joined us yet. And so we need to make sure that we're accountable to do that correctly. And we believe that um, uh, within the BIC, we are uh, fully legally uh, accountable in a governance way to our government, but we're also doing that in a biblical way to make sure that we are all being taken care of properly. There you go, everybody. I think you wish I sung a song. Actually, you don't. 
every single week we're offering to make sure that if anybody has any prayer needs that uh, you will have those taken care of today if you want to. There's people at the front here on this side that would love to pray with you. If, in fact, you still have prayer needs that are, or maybe uh, you don't want to do that, but we still could pray for you, uh, please go to our website, backslash prayer, and we will take care of that for you as well. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Enjoy the weather. Go in peace. God bless you.